Hello there, Baha'i Blogcast listeners. It's me, your host, Rain Wilson. Happy Rizvan, everyone. This is a very special, little, short episode, 34 minutes long or so, that I wanted to share with you. Recently, I got back in touch with Baha'i speaker, thinker, Renaissance man about town, Tom Price, who's located now in uh, Adelaide, Australia. And we were having some discussions on a variety of topics. You'll be able to see some of these videos as they emerge in the in the next weeks and months. And I thought, well, this would be really interesting to get his take on Rizvan. I'm sure he's got an interesting perspective, as he always does. So I sat down with Tom Price, uh, ostensibly to shoot a video for an endeavor happening out of Los Angeles called Is Everywhere. You can find their YouTube channel, Is Everywhere. And they're doing remote musical celebrations of Baha'i Holy Days and other live streaming events. Uh, Yasi Mezba is behind it, the great Yasi. So this one is called Rizvan is Everywhere. They're, they're releasing a video every single day for Rizvan. And this is for them. Uh, we'll, we'll see if they've got the time and the room to actually use it. But Nason Naraki and I thought that we would release the audio as a mini podcast for the Baha'i Blogcast. For those of you who don't know, Rezvan is the most holy of the Baha'i holidays. It's 12 days long. It's called the King of Festivals. It's essentially where Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, announced to his friends, his family, his followers, the people of the land, that he was the promised one of the ages that he was the he who shall God shall make manifest from the legacy of his forerunner, the Bob. Many other things happened. I'm not going to get into the details right now, but we had a pretty interesting conversation and I hope you enjoy this special Rizvan mini edition of the Baha'i Blogcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, and welcome to Baha'i Blogcast, with me, your host, Rain Wilson. This is where I interview members of the Baha'i faith and other friends from all over the world about their hearts and minds and souls, their spiritual journeys, what they're interested in, and what makes them tick. Enjoy. Tom Price, how are you doing? Hi, Rain. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Thanks so much for getting on the horn with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You're you're in Los Angeles, right? I am. And you are in Australia? Beautiful, sunny South Australia. Absolutely. And uh, everything's going okay in the midst of this uh, quarantine Rizvan right now? Absolutely. We're, we're, Adelaide is actually doing a little better than many parts of the world. We have fewer and fewer cases. I think they said we had no new cases recently. So I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And social distancing is not a problem for me because, you know, uh, I've been socially distancing even when there wasn't Corona. So I'm fine. Us nerds have been social distancing <laughs> since junior right. high school lunch break. Exactly. Well, thanks for talking with me today. You know, I am a huge fan of your talks, as people know, and you speak really eloquently about the Baha'i faith, spiritual themes, but also about science and psychology and sociology. I love the stories that you tell 
And right now we're kind of smack dab in the middle of the most holy festival in the Baha'i faith, the festival of Rizvan, the king of festivals. And I just thought it would be interesting to have a conversation with you about it. So when I say to you, Rezvan, what comes to mind? Well, to me, Rezvan, the subject of Rezvan, the true meaning of Rezvan, is probably the most mysterious, most mystical, most magical concept, perhaps in the entire Baha'i faith, in, in my opinion. And I, I love talking about it. Of course, yes, we know that Rezvan can be looked at from a historical perspective. And we can also look at Rezvan from what Baha'u'llah said about it, what Abdu'l Baha said about it, what Shoghi Effendi said about it. We can also look at the history of it as well, because it's also an historical event. It happened 157 years ago to this day. It was a 12-day period in which Baha'u'llah was under banishment from Baghdad. He was on his way to Constantinople, and for 12 days, he stayed in a garden just across the Tigris River from Baghdad for 12 days, in which he announced his mission. And of course, we know lots of history about what happened to Rezvan. When I say a lot, we know some history. And mm -hmm. we also know what Baha'u'llah said about it. Of course, we have holy days in the Baha'i faith. We also have the holiest days, which mm -hmm. are the Rezvan festival. Shoghi Fendi referred to them as the holiest of all the festivals. Baha'u'llah called it the most great festival, the king of festivals, the, the festival of God, and, and so on. But the interesting thing is, is that in the accounts by Shoghi Effendi and God Passes By, he says the exact nature and details of Baha'u'llah's declaration, we don't know, which hmm. in itself is kind of interesting, uh, the most significant, the holiest thing. We don't know the exact nature and details. We just have some accounts, you know, by Nabil and, and a few others of what happened. And those accounts generally figure quite dominantly in our holy day celebrations, the accounts of the tents that Baha'u'llah had and the, the roses that they would bring in every day. The gardener would bring in more and more roses. The roses were piled so high in the middle of the tent that when they sat on the ground and had tea, they couldn't see each other because that's how <laughs> high they're the roses were. Mm -hmm. And of course, the nightingales and Baha'u'llah referred to the nightingales. Baha'u'llah's departure, we often uh, recount the history of it because the people gathered on all sides and he had this magnificent horse. Shoghi Fendi said it was a red roan stallion, the, the finest that his uh, followers could purchase for him. And he rode out in great majesty and Baha'u'llah himself referred to the fact that he was able to depart from the Garden of Rezvan with such majesty as none can imagine. We, we know these historical accounts, you know, the riding of the horse, the nightingales, the roses. And many times when we have the celebrations, we, we recount that history. And mm -hmm. when we go through it and we tell it, just like, you know, Christians, you know, they, they recount the history and so on. But I find that the history in itself is not really the true meaning of Rezvan. Hmm. The true okay. meaning of Rezvan, it transcends the history. And so we need to understand this. First of all, Shoghi Fendi said that although we don't know exactly what Baha'u'llah said on that first day when he made the announcement, 
there are accounts that Baha'u'llah made three announcements that day. We don't know the exact wording, but we know the three announcements. And do we know the which day two, we're talking about? Is this on the ninth day? No, on the very first day. Okay. On the very first okay. day, he has, according to reports, made three announcements. We don't have the exact words, but the three announcements were, number one, is that he completely annulled advancing the faith through fighting or violence. Okay. The, the, that was annulled, and that, that one is... Yeah, you know, pretty obvious. He said good, that, that good call. faith is to do... Yeah, it was a good call. Good call on um, his part, yeah. Any kind of violence or jihad or whatever it was that might have been believed to be permitted under Islam, he completely annulled. The second announcement he made was that there would not be another prophet from God to appear, another manifestation for a full mm -hmm. thousand years or more, not for at mm -hmm. least a thousand mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. Once again, pretty understandable. The third was the most interesting. And he said that at this moment, the moment in which he revealed this, that all the names and attributes of God were fully manifest in all created things, in everything, in, in all created things. He said that he had completely shed the light of his glory throughout creation. He infused creation at that very moment. In fact, there's many tablets that Baha'u'llah wrote about Rezvan, some that were revealed right in the garden that he gave to people and some that came mm -hmm. later. And he referred to Rezvan as the day of supreme felicity. Let me read this. He says, Rejoice with exceeding gladness, O people of Baha, as ye call to remembrance the day of supreme felicity, the day whereon the tongue of the Ancient of Days has spoken as he departed from his house, proceeded to the spot from which he shed upon the whole creation the splendors of his name. Hmm. So he says, that spot, he shed upon the whole creation the splendors of his name. So Rezvan is not a local event in which hmm. something was said and received by a handful of people or a number of people in one local spot. It was a worldwide event in which mm. Baha'u'llah did something to the entire world. He continues, I'm reading from the same tablet, were mm -hmm. we to reveal the hidden secret of that day, all they that dwell on earth and in heavens would swoon away and die. Now, it's hard to imagine something that I could tell you that would make you swoon away and die. I mean, what, how, how, you know, what could I, what, what could I tell you that would make you swoon away and die? And yet, I, was, I, I, I we got one thing. I got one thing. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are getting back together again. Yes, it's almost as powerful as as that. Almost. Okay, so if you were, yep. yes, exactly. He says if he were to reveal the hidden secret, and so somehow we have to understand that Rezvan, it's not a local event. Mm -hmm. It's a global, it's a universal event in which Baha'u'llah says that he completely regenerated the world. In one tablet about Rezvan, I, I don't have it with me, but I re recall it quite well. He said, we caused everything to expire and then we recreated it all again wow. on, on Rezvan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so Christians believe that the world began... 6,000 years ago, or, or some believe, you know, looking at the book of Genesis, and, and other people believe when the world began. 
It would be right to say that the world began 157 years ago in one sense, in the sense that, you know, everything before that was another mm. world that he caused to expire and a new world was made to creation. And he yeah. says, mm -hmm. yes, it was reborn. And, and so, and, and also, and also worth mentioning that reborn in the springtime, like a month after Nauru's first day of spring, there's a renewal and rebirth symbolism that runs through the spring imagery around Rezvan as well. Exactly. Baha'u'llah often refers to Rezvan as the divine springtime. Hmm. So hmm. in other words, there, there is a, there's a spring that happens every year, and then there's, there's another kind of spring which happens every thousand years or so when the manifestation mm -hmm. of God appears, when the sun rises again. I find it interesting. I, I was recently reading that Baha'u'llah called it the day of supreme felicity. Felicity, of course, means happiness. So it's mm -hmm. the day of supreme happiness. So I was reading not too long ago that when Baha'u'llah departed, he was on this fine red roan stallion. And I read recently that the name of that horse, the luckiest horse in all of human history, was named Saudi. Uh, did you know that we know the name of Baha'u'llah's red roan horse that I he had no, rode? I had no idea. Yeah. Well, no. And I was thinking, well, gee, we know all the names of Santa's reindeers. So certainly we can remember <laughs> the name <laughs> Baha'u'llah's horse. In fact, there were two other horses that he had as well. He rode on Saudi, but there were two others. One was Farangi and one was Said. So we should actually know these horses because I tell you, they're the luckiest horses in all of human history as far as we I'm need concerned. to write a song but, about them. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. But it, but anyway, the point is, is that I immediately said, well, what does Saudi mean? You know, because I, hmm. I, I got a dictionary of Arabic names and what they mean. And Saudi means felicity. Hmm. That's what it said. That was the first one, felicitatious or felicity, happiness, felicity. Hmm. Hmm. And hmm. so Baha'u'llah on the day of supreme felicity was riding a horse named Felicity. Well, you know, probably not a big deal, but I try to find some interesting things. I also found it interesting that for many years, Baha'is told me, or I read in various books, that we celebrate the 12 days of Rezvan, but the holy days that we take work off are the 1st, 9th, and 12th. Mm -hmm. And uh, several Baha'i books said that, well, we celebrate the 1st because that's the first day and that's when he made the announcement. The 12th, because he departed on Saudi, the horse, you know. And the 9th, because they say the family joined uh, him on the 9th. And mm. that's what I always thought was the reason. Then I came across this passage from Shoghi Effendi, in which he says why we celebrate the 1st, 9th, and 12th. I'm going to read that to you. He sure. says, the reason we commemorate the 1st, 9th, and 12th days of Rezvan as holy days, because one is the first day, one is the last day, and the third one is the ninth day, which, of course, is associated with the number nine. Hmm. All 12 hmm. days could not be holidays. Therefore, these three were chosen. So, in other words, all 12 are basically the festival. Hmm. They're, they're yeah, it was just it was, the numbers are pretty arbitrary in that case. Just let's take off from work and school three separate days, right. one, nine and yes. 12. Yeah. Exactly, because we couldn't take them all. So the family did, of course, arrive on the ninth day, but we don't celebrate the ninth because of that. We celebrate it because of 
the number nine itself. If the family had come on the 10th or 11th day, we still would probably celebrate on the ninth day. Right. Not a big mm -hmm. deal, but it's just interesting to think that this is a festival. I'm assuming in the future that all 12 days will have great significance, but we won't work. Obviously, we don't want to close everything and not go to work for 12 days. But so th that's an interesting thing. But mm. I want to look at this concept that Baha'u'llah says he shed on all creation the light of his glory. In another passage, he says, we have laid bare all the secrets of the universe. Okay, and things like that. There are many passages about what he did. And mm. so basically, my understanding is, is that Baha'u'llah's actions in the Rezvan Garden during those 12 days, they mark a mystic transformation of the world. Okay, mm. in which Baha'u'llah infused creation with the glory of God's name. So his announcement is not so much the revealing of a secret to a, a group of individuals, but rather it is the fundamental transformation of the entire world. It's, it's the transformation of the relationship between God and the world. And so I got this idea strongly when I read a letter from Abdul Baha to commemorate Rezvan. And that's the fascinating thing. You can find it in the book, Selections from the Writings of Abdu'l-Bahá, because someone wrote to Abdu'l-Bahá, said, we're going to celebrate Rezvan and have a meeting. Could you write a letter? And he did write a letter. And what's in that letter contains the secret. So I'm going to read you a bit of that letter, not all of it, but just tell you. So he says, oh, ye beloved and ye handmaids of the merciful, this is the day when the day star of truth rose over the horizon of life and its glory spread and its brightness shone out with such power that it clove the dense and high-piled clouds and mounted the skies of the world in all the splendor. So that's a basic statement about what happened in very beautiful poetic terms hmm. that mm -hmm. this is the day in which Baha'u'llah shed his light and transformed the world. Then... Abdu'l-Bahá continues, and I'm expecting him to mention the nightingales and the roses and the stallion and the people. I'm expecting him to give us a little bit of history because that's what you normally expect. Sure. But he continues now and he says, hence, do ye witness a new stirring throughout all created things? See how in this day the scope of sciences and arts hath widened out. And what wondrous technical advances have been made, and to what a high degree the mind's powers have increased, and what stupendous inventions have appeared. Then he goes on for two more paragraphs about the scientific achievements and the increase hmm. in man's capacity to understand the world took place as a result of Rezvan. Is hmm. it two paragraphs, actually three, about what happened in the world. He says that hundreds of times more inventions and scientific discoveries have occurred since that day when Baha'u'llah shed onto creation than has ever happened in all of human history. And he never gets to anything else uh, in that letter. He just wants us to meditate on what happened to the world after 1863 in mm. terms of science. Hmm. And I found hmm. that interesting because I think that's related to Baha'u'llah's third announcement that he infused into creation 
something new. And it made me think of the concept, which I believe when the manifestation of God comes, there are two things that happen. One is the gift of revelation of God to man, and the other is the infusion of capacity into man to receive that revelation. It's, huh. it's a dual thing. Yeah, a twofold and, and so process. Mm -hmm. It's a twofold process, the gift of revelation and the infusion of capacity. And for some reason, Abdu'l-Bahá wanted to dwell on that infusion of capacity, that regeneration. Everything was made anew. And so when he said this, he said, for example, take, I'm reading from his Rezvan letter again. He says, mm -hmm. take, for example, the sum total of all the books that were ever written in past ages and compare them with the books and treaties that our era has produced. And he says, they far alone exceed the total number of volumes of all that has written. In other words, more things, according to Abba yeah. Baha, were mm -hmm. discovered and written about just after Rezvan than yeah. everything in human history. Now, when he first said that, I thought, is that hyperbole? Is he exaggerating or whatever? So I right. decided to do some research into it. And I can't tell you everything right now. So I just want to focus on one interesting thing. Everybody knows that the world is dramatically different today than it was from 1863. I mean, mm -hmm. just think about it. I remember in the mid-1980s having meetings with my grandfather who lived to be nearly 100, and he was born in the 1880s, and he told me about his life. You know, when, you know they, they had no telephones, they had no automobiles, they had no electricity. You know, they, mm. they, he used to grow his own food and hunt, kill animals, and... He told me about his life. And as he was telling me this in the 1980s, I was thinking, you know, we got airplanes and cars and telephones and all these things that we have today. Has anyone in a hundred year period gone through as much as my grandfather has gone through? I was hmm. just thinking about this. And then hmm. basically that's what Abdu'l-Bahá was saying. So I decided to check Abdu'l-Bahá's uh, statement that mm -hmm. post Rezvan, the world exploded in scientific discoveries. Yeah. And gradually I realized that of course we had electricity in the automobile and the airplane and, and so on. But it all started, it all started pretty much according to Albert Einstein, according to uh, historians of science, it started with a particular scientist named James Clark Maxwell. He was Scottish and uh, he was working in the 1860s in London. Mm -hmm. and. You might know that when Einstein was once asked, do you stand on the shoulders of Newton? He said, no, I don't stand on the shoulders of Newton. I stand on the shoulders of Maxwell. And in fact, the title of the most famous book about Maxwell is The Man Who Changed Everything. <laughs> the Man Who Changed Everything, okay? Actually, Baha'u'llah was the man who changed everything. But there's also a video, a beautiful documentary by BBC, called James Clerk Maxwell, The Man Who Changed the World. Why is it that Einstein and scientists said that Maxwell changed the world? Well, it so happens that he basically, almost single-handedly, although using the research of others, discovered the nature of electromagnetism. He published a paper called A Dynamical Theory of Electromagnetic Fields, which is mm -hmm. considered the most monumental, most transforming 
document in all of scientific history, a dynamic mm. theory of electromagnetic field, because it led to an understanding of light and electricity and magnetism and their relationships and the complete discovery of the electromagnetic spectrum, which led to radio and television, everything that we have today, whether it be your cell yeah. phones or your GPS or whatever, its genesis is this paper, A Dynamical mm -hmm. Theory of Electromagnetic Fields, written mm -hmm. by James Clark Maxwell. So I was fascinated that history would point to this as a turning point. So I looked up when it was published. Do you know when it was published? I got to go with 1864. 1865. Oh, 1865. I was off by one. A, okay. Okay. But the point is, is that you certainly can't publish a paper, the, the most significant scientific advance in all of human history. You can't publish it and have come up with it right in 1865. So sure. one can properly assume that it was around 63 or 64 that he was coming up with it. In fact, we have a letter from him while he was working on the paper to his cousin. It's a fascinating letter in which he says he's, he's sitting on this paper that he's about to you know, submit, and it's going to be great guns, <laughs> he called it. That was his term, ah, great that's guns. Great. Mm -hmm. So sometime between 63 and 65, when Baha'u'llah mm -hmm. shed into the world this new regeneration, this is what happens. And then immediately from 1865 on, of course, it took t more than 20 years for them to verify everything that he said. But it's quite clear that Abdu'l-Bahá was completely right, that the world itself suddenly had a scientific explosion, mm -hmm. the like of which human history has never seen. And this was all due to what Baha'u'llah did in that first day of Rezvan, when he shed upon creation the splendor of his lights. Well, it's, in other it's words, interesting, sorry to, sorry to interject here, it's interesting that Darwin origin of species was right before 1863, but when you're talking about the capacity of man to receive information, it took many years for Darwin's discoveries about evolution to become kind of verified and become fact. And it wasn't until the 18, late 1860s, 1870s, that the origin of species became what it was. So. Absolutely. And we, we also have to recognize that it wasn't only in science that there was such an explosion in poetry, in mm -hmm. music, in mm -hmm. drama, in literature, medical fields, in, in almost every field from the 1860s to about, say, 1920, and then continuing on, we've seen tremendous advances, advances mm -hmm. that we couldn't believe. How did the human race suddenly become so smart? Mm -hmm. Suddenly be, I mean, I mean, let's get this right. Electricity and magnetism had been known since the earliest time, since 6,000 years, we have known about electricity and static electricity and magnet. We used magnets to travel around the world, you know, by magnetic north and so on. We knew these things. And even what uh, Maxwell used, it wasn't so much based on really complex equipment. It was based on mathematics and an understanding of just certain experiments that had been done by, you know, Faraday and various other scientists. In other words, 
there doesn't seem to be any reason why man couldn't have discovered all of these things earlier. Yeah. They were all there. Mm -hmm. They were all in the world. They could be observed, but they weren't. Suddenly, everything was laid bare. Baha'u'llah says he completely laid bare the secrets of the universe. And so, as I say, it was in science that Abdu'l-Bahá referred to, but it also was in poetry and in music and in drama and, and all kinds of other things. And of course, it is continuing still today. And we do see some parallels with the appearance of other manifestations of God. For example, there was a tremendous flourishing of science and technology and medicine following the appearance of Muhammad. We know this. Sure. Uh, and so we have to, we have to understand, and I, I'm sure that if you look at the advances in the cultures in Egypt and, and in Greece and so on, this came from Moses and so on. And Adabaha refers to some of these earlier examples in some answer questions. But this was a great transformation of the world. So we have to view Rezvan not just as an historical event in which there are beautiful stories of what happened with the nightingales and the roses and the horses, but we have to view it as a global event in mm. which Baha'u'llah transmitted something to every human being on the planet, mm. whether they were mm. sitting in that garden or not. I love the fact that it was in a garden. I mean, mm. this is fascinating to me in and of itself. If you think of all the ways a messenger of God could announce himself, he could go to the mountaintop, he could come down with tablets, he could go to a mosque, he yeah. could speak to multitudes, whatever you know, we want to imagine yeah. how it could happen. But Baha'u'llah chose a garden. And yeah. a garden, is, it's a very beautiful thing. It has many analogies. Uh, even human beings have compared to gardens. And Baha'u'llah loved gardens himself. This is why Abdu'l-Bahá built the Rezvan Garden, which is different. It's near Akka, yeah. uh, because Baha'u'llah loved gardens. This is obviously why Shoghi Effendi has adorned all of the Baha'i holy places with magnificent gardens. Mm, uh, mm. You understand. Uh, so it's fascinating to me that it was in a garden of all places. It's fascinating to me that it took him 12 days to do it. It actually took much longer than 12 days. The 12 days was when he was there, but it was nearly a month, nearly 30 days that he was receiving visitors in his house, what he called his most mm. great house in Baghdad. He received them just continually as he got ready for his departure. Mm -hmm. And then when he finally went uh, to the Garden of Rezvan, he was there 12 days. And then after the 12 days, when he got on Saudi, the horse, I keep mentioning the name of the horse, he only <laughs> went three miles up, up the Tigris River. He just went three miles up and then stayed in another garden for seven days. As oh, he no got kidding. Ready. I had no idea yes, about yeah, well, that. No, no, these are, these are all little, I'm trying to find facts that people don't know. And he stayed there for seven days because they still had to get ready because it was a very long journey. I think it was like two months or something. They had to get ready and they, mm -hmm. to pack everything up and, and do on. And so the point was, is that it was part of a longer period. I'm, I'm thinking maybe about 40, 40, 50 days. Hmm. Um, but the 12 days of Rezvan are very special because of that reason. Well, I love, um, Tom, and, the, the metaphors of being in a garden. And there's absolutely. so many... Uh, writings and poetic symbolism of gardens throughout the Baha'i writings. And it's, it's flowers and blooming and cultivation and 
flowers in the heart and the rose of love. And so you think about this divine springtime poetically taking place in a garden and then specifically having to do with this flourishing of arts and sciences throughout the world mm -hmm. and the decades following it. And it, that truly yeah. is the kind of universal impact of what a divine springtime is. Exactly. We could talk just about the garden and the garden analogy and the beauty of it. So I love that Baha'u'llah, he chose a garden and it was a garden on a river. And of course, rivers are also wonderful symbols, the water of life and so on. In fact, the Tigris River, Baha'u'llah had actually revealed earlier these hidden words while walking and pacing along the Tigris River. You know, mm. so, mm. yeah, we could just talk about, and of course, the Tigris River, along with the Euphrates River, is what we call the cradle of civilization. Yeah. It's a very special historical That's river. That's what I, well. I learned in, the, in, in history class in junior high school, the Tigris-Euphrates, where civilization started. So civilization itself was given this rebirth in the same location. Yes. And so there, there's, there's a lot of beautiful things beyond just the story. Something that excites me too is that he declared exactly one Vahed into the Baha'i calendar. I don't know if you know what a Vahed is, but it so happens that our calendar, we think in terms of years, decades, centuries, millennium, you know, one, one, mm -hmm. ten, a hundred, and a thousand. But the Baha'i calendar has a different measure and they're all 19ths. We have 19 days, which make a month. Mm -hmm. We have 19 months in a year. Mm -hmm. And we, we compensate with the intercalary days. We have 19 years, and they make a vahed. 19 years makes a vahed. And then we have 19 vaheds, which make a kolishai, which if you do the math, that's 361 years. And so in the I future, think you're making up we'll these words. No, 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 no. <laughs> Go to look at the entire what we call the body calendar, which is the calendar we use. No, I, I it's, believe it's yeah. 19, 19, 19, and 19. So yep. right now we are in the 10th Vahed. Okay, just in case you were wondering okay. that. We're still in the first Kolishai. None of us are going to make it out of the first Kolishai unless we live to be 300 years old or something like okay. that. But we're in the 10th Vahed. And it just so happens that the Bob who declared in 1844... His mission lasted until Baha'u'llah declared in 1863. Shoghi said the 10 years in which Baha'u'llah had received revelation but didn't announce, the 10 years was the time of concealment. And he even refers to prophecies that say that time. So basically, Baha'u'llah gave the Bab exactly 19 years ah. uh, for his mission. Hmm. Do the math, 44 to 63. Yeah. And so the Bob got exactly one Vahed. Mm -hmm. And so then Baha'u'llah's ministry mm -hmm. begins with a new Vahed, which mm -hmm. is interesting itself. And so then if you think we're in the 10th Vahed, we're actually now in the ninth Vahed of Baha'u'llah's ministry today as we speak. We're in the fifth year of the ninth Vahed. Now, I know that I'm a bit of a nerd about these things. But I, I just find that everything aligns so beautifully, mm, the date, mm, the timing mm -hmm. of it, the location of it, and the fact that Abdu'l-Bahá decided to commemorate Rezvan in his letter to the believers, not about the history of it as what happened there, 
but yeah. about the history of what happened in the world. The hmm. transformation of the world is, in my opinion, the true meaning of Rezva. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, Tom, we should we should wrap it up now. There, I'm sure there's so much more to say on the topic and, and many more stories, and maybe we can do a part two of this, or maybe even next Rezvan, we'll continue this conversation. But I've learned a ton just talking to you right now, things I've never heard before, and I love the perspective. It's just fantastic. So I'd like to tell you right now, happy Rezvan. Happy Rezvan. Or as they, as they say in Los Angeles, Ede Rezvan Mubarak. And uh, I hope that, uh, yeah, we can have some more talks about not just this one, maybe all the Baha'i Holy Days. They're all fascinating. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and say hello to the great continent of Australia for me. I will. Everyone. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Baha'i Blogcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Check out more fun Baha'i stuff on Baha'iblog.net. Thank you so much, and good night.